the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Welcome to What a Life with Paul Batura. Paul is a best-selling author, writer, Fox News contributor, and vice president of communications at Focus on the Family. This is a show about the extraordinary value of every life. It's a show about movers, shakers, and culture shapers. And now, here's your host, Paul Batura. Well, thanks for the introduction, Dr. Bill. That's Dr. Bill Meyer, our friend, and uh, by the way, the announcer for Dr. Chuck Swindoll and Insight for Living. Special thanks to the Salem Media Network for distributing this program and to Matt, who is producing and engineering the program. Well, the NFL playoffs are in full swing and the college football season just ended. So I feel like we have permission to still talk about the gridiron a bit. And we're going to do that uh, with our guest this week. He is a legendary Hall of Fame a football coach from the Air Force Academy, Fisher DeBerry. Coach spent 27 years with the Falcons is the winningest coach in academy history, and he remains a household name in college sports, especially here in Colorado Springs. Now, Coach might be retired from stalking the sidelines, but he's still very active, even at the age of 85. Um, Just to give you an idea, we were texting about firming up a date to record this, and he said, we better make it today. He says, I'm going to be busy uh, that next day working at my church, volunteering at his church. I just love that. Coach heads up the Fisher DeBerry Foundation, whose mission is to help support and educate single moms and their children, among other things. He and his foundation have sent, or send, I should say, hundreds of kids to camp each summer. He's also the author of a few great books, uh, For God and Country, Foundations of Faith and the Power of Influence, and then uh, and the Power of Influence, Life-Changing Lessons from the Coach. So, Coach DeBerry, it's an honor to welcome you to the program. Well, thank you very much, Paul. It's certainly an honor to uh, visit with you and uh, excited to, to visit with anybody uh, from Colorado and especially focused in the family because it was quite dear to my heart. And uh, whenever we were there, I'll never forget visiting with Jim Dodson and, uh, so many times. And uh, we just are excited to have this opportunity to visit with you and speak to the people in Colorado Springs that you really love. Well, we love that you're willing to talk with us. And uh, let's. people are probably wondering, whatever happened to Coach DeBerry, where do you live now? And uh, tell us that journey when you moved out of Colorado. What did you do? Well, you know, we, we, uh, we really didn't want to necessarily move to Colorado, but we made a commitment that wherever our children were, uh, that's where we wanted to be and felt needed to be. And uh, and that was a lifelong dream of ours. And so uh, both when we, uh, when we retired in 06, uh, both of our kids were living in uh, Oklahoma and, uh, and uh, their kids were growing up and, and they were developing their families and being involved in a lot of things. And so we just made a commitment that we wanted to be here with them and be in support of them. And so for a few years, uh, we, we were in Charleston, South Carolina, where we had built a home. Uh, during the time that we were at the academy, and then from there we uh, we uh, came to uh, 
a little country town to, in, uh, in uh, Grove, Oklahoma. There's a big old lake here called Grand Lake. And uh, so the kids would come up and the grandchildren would come up and fish and play golf and uh, and uh, just have a good time on the lake. And uh, then uh, when they really got to high school and they got involved in, in sports and going to college and that type of stuff, we uh, felt like that uh, we probably need to be a little bit closer. So we moved to uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, we've really found a wonderful, wonderful church here and uh, and some wonderful people. And uh, a lot of things are happening in uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I think probably half of California is moving to Oklahoma now. Well, it's a great state and Tulsa is a great city. I I had the privilege of writing Paul Harvey's biography. You remember Paul Harvey and he's that's his hometown. That's where he was born there in Tulsa. So. I'm not sure if you see any remnants of him still, but that's where he spent his first uh, 20 years of his life or so. Oh, yeah. Oh, he had a great show. <laughs> it was always great to, to, to listen. I remember one time we went down to uh, play in the uh, in the Copper Bowl down in uh, uh, Tucson, Arizona, and that's where he lived at that time, and we played golf there, had a little golf tournament with it, and uh, it was the game. We were playing Texas Tech, and... and uh, his house was right there on the uh, one of the fairways, and, and uh, we all said, well, maybe we ought to knock on the door and see if we can sit and watch his program. <laughs> yeah, he would have loved that if you did it. What a great career he had. What an inspiration. Well, I have to tell you, Coach, I was in line. I go to the games here in town, and I was in line recently uh, this season, and I was talking with a former player of yours. I don't remember his name, but you have so many former players, and he, uh, we were looking up at your photograph. You know, you're on a big banner as you walk into the stadium, and he was, uh, he immediately lit up when I asked him what it was like playing for you, and he said, "Oh, he, I always loved his pregame talks about how well we were going to eat." So it's interesting what sticks with players. I guess he said you would enthusiastically endorse the menu, whatever you guys were offering the players. But I'm curious, do you, what do you miss about? Uh, coaching and the rhythm and demands that it brought. Well, the the, the relationships, uh, you know, and the, the people, and uh, we had some wonderful people that uh, that uh, worked a lot harder than I did to have a great uh, program at the academy. And uh, but I certainly missed players, and uh, hoping that we could have had a positive influence on the majority of players that we had, and that was the main reason we were in coaching and. Uh, but the coaching also provided us a lot of opportunities for travel and places to go and things to do that we probably wouldn't have wouldn't have been able to do had it not been for football. And we were able to play in Hawaii, coaching uh, and play in Japan and coach uh, in a lot of all-star games and, uh, and and go to Europe a couple of times and do things for the Air Force over there. And so uh, football uh, being at the academy really opened a lot of doors and was a wonderful experience for Luann and I and our family. Mm. Well, let's go back to the beginning. Um, you uh, grew up in South Carolina. Tell me what your earliest memory is as a kid. Well, probably my earliest memory was that uh, uh, I uh, grew up, uh, uh, my mom and dad separated when I was just a little, little, little guy. And she came home and her mom and dad took her in and, uh, so we actually uh, lived with um, my uh, grandmother and granddad, and they were just like mom and dad to me, you know. And uh, but uh, the house that they uh, lived in, 
was just uh, across the street, more or less, uh, uh, not even a full block away from the from the football and, and baseball field. And so, um, so many people used to tell me that they'd see me over the field, and I'd be in my diapers and and had my bottle of <laughs> bottle of milk with me. You know, wow. you know yeah. It was, uh, uh, it was a pretty safe community at that time, you know, and uh, but I did spend a lot of time, uh, you know, in in the backyard of the high school there where the stadium was, and uh, and my grandmother, my mother was working, and uh, and of course my grandmother pretty well raised me, and uh, and she, and uh, she knew where I was all the time, but she knew <laughs> all she had to do was yell. Uh, pretty loud, and, and and I'd come running, or else she'd walk over there and say, "Hey, it's time to come home." What did you inherit from your mom or grandma in terms of temperament, uh, just habits? Uh, what uh, what do you credit them with instilling in you? Uh, my love for the church and and love for Jesus. I, I just uh, you know, my grandma said, "You, you want to drive the car." Well, yeah, I sure would. Uh, well, if you want to drive a car, you, you know, you're going to go to church if you expect to drive a car. <laughs> and, but uh, she always said, you know, when the doors open on church uh, uh, on Sunday morning, we're there. And for, uh, I guess, 50-something years, Paul, every Sunday, whether it was in the, the, the main sanctuary or whether it was in the, uh, in the, in the her Sunday school class, she put uh, live flowers. Uh, in their in their uh, in their uh, class or in the church, and uh, and she uh, loved the garden. <laughs> she demanded a lot of me to do the, a lot of hoeing and digging and planting, but uh, that was fine. I learned a good bit from her. But uh, but she had something blooming all the time uh, there in South Carolina, and uh, and uh, she you know prided herself in being able to do that. People look forward to that, but uh, she and granddad were pillars of the church and of course my my, my mother was uh, uh the uh, uh worked with the junior high d- division in in the church and uh, uh was a uh, uh, teacher and a mm-hmm. uh, administrator for the junior high uh, uh, education there in the church and uh, so i guess probably you know the people and the friendships that they had that that opened doors for us uh you know, in the church, probably growing up in that little country town that uh, probably is as much to me as anything in, in my development and in my values and in my growth as anything. Sure. I'm Paul Batura, and you're listening to What a Life, Lessons from Legends. We're talking with uh, legendary Hall of Fame football coach Fisher DeBerry, who was uh, uh, just a, a household name here in Colorado Springs. Uh, coach, you talk about the influence of the church and the early influence on your life. Uh, tell me, when did you uh, feel like you had made the faith your own? Uh, you know, comes we accept the Lord at all different ages. How old were you well, when you made it? Uh, made that faith commitment? You know, I think we grow in our faith at every age level uh, in our development and in our growth. But I, I'll never forget there was a traveling uh, 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 I'm trying to think. The Evangelist? Right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Revival, yeah, going on in in our in our community, and uh, and uh, of course, grandmother said that we were to go to there and support that. But I remember the minister was just uh, very energetic and uh, really loved young people, and uh, you know, I really felt probably at that particular time 
uh, was my first real introduction to to Jesus, and uh, and we we were encouraged during that week of the revival, you know, to uh, to give our hearts, and uh, and so from there I. I grew, and of course, I grew in the church there. I uh, ended up going to a Methodist uh, uh, college, Walford College, and uh, and uh, was blessed to be uh, in a Christian influence there. And uh, and uh, so, uh, church has really been very, very, very important, to, you know, to us and to uh, to my family. And of course, my own children knew that it was Sunday that they didn't have a choice. We were going to church. <laughs> Irregardless, before we did anything else, and when I was coaching, I would never have uh, coaching meetings uh, before Sunday afternoon because I wanted all of our coaches to take their families and be sure that they had the opportunity to go and worship together and be together and have lunch together, and then come to work and get ready for the next opponent. Yeah, that's a great um, model, and the way you modeled that. I I heard you say one time that after every game, you would tell your players. Uh, Tomorrow's Sunday, and I hope you go to church. And I wonder, would you, could you get away with that today in the current climate that we're living in, uh, or is that just you were just sharing your heart? And uh, no, that, that was my heart. I, I just felt that was the reason God had uh, opened the door and given me the opportunity to coach. And certainly, I wanted to honor Him. And I wanted everybody associated with us to honor him because he was the head coach and the the pilot of our of our program. But yeah, there were three things that I knew. I think sometimes probably we get tired of hearing it, but I just felt it was me, and and uh, and so I I tell them, you know, men, tomorrow is the Lord's day. And uh, we don't have any practice on Sunday in this program, and uh, there are no meetings. I expect you to go to church because if it wasn't for the sacrifices he made for our lives, certainly we wouldn't have the opportunity to, uh, you know, to play this great game and enjoy the experiences, you know, that we're having. And then I'd tell him, don't you let that sun go down this afternoon, or if we will play it at night, don't you let uh, 12 o'clock get in at you don't call uh, your mom or your dad who is most instrumental in you having the opportunity to, to get such mm. a wonderful education and to be where you are to play college football and call them and tell them how much you love them and how much you appreciate uh, their support and their love because, uh, again, if it wasn't for them, you know, we wouldn't be. And then I was reminded that uh, remember who you are. You represent the United States Air Force. And uh, a lot is expected out of you and out of me and out of our coaching staff and uh, you know and you be careful who you associate with and uh, and just remember who you are and who you represent and uh, make good judgments in whatever you do and uh, and so <laughs> it's amazing how you know that sort of lives I never forget one time I was uh, I was um, uh, speaking down in in uh, New Mexico and one of my players knew I was coming, and he called and said, can I pick you up at the airport? And I said, well, yeah, I'd be happy for you to do that. So he met me there and drug that, and I got in the car. And before he even uh, uh, turned the key to, to crank the car up, he said, I want to show you something, Coach. And he uh, opened his glove compartment and pulled out uh, uh, pictures of his family and his wife and, uh, and and his Bible. And I gave all our seniors every year at, uh, at our Final the meeting, final the last supper, I called it. Mm. Uh, Lou Ann would have our seniors, graduating seniors, out at the house, and we'd have a big barbecue, and and then I'd get them 
and take them down in the basement, and uh, I'd have all the pictures and and cut ups and write ups that were left about them in the uh, in the uh, sports information department. They would give me, and uh, and I just thank them, you know, for their commitment to football and what they had meant to the community and mean to the academy, and wish them well. And then I always gave each one of them uh, a Bible. Uh, with their name on it and uh, with a little autograph and a little saying. And because uh, I said, man, uh, you, you've had it pretty good here, you know, for four years and uh, some good things have happened to us. But I can assure you there's going to be some challenges and some pitfalls in your life and you're going to need some inspiration. You're going to need about tell you where you can find the answer to any problem you might have is in this book. And mm. so I challenge you to get familiar with it. And, and uh, when you have uh, something you, you need an answer to, uh, search the scripture, and you can find it. And uh, and so he pulled out his Bible, showed me his Bible. He said, I take it to church with me every Sunday. And then he showed me a picture of his wife. And I used to tell him, I said, one reason you need to go to church, I said, you never know. You might meet your future bride, your, your yeah. wife at church. And he said, Coach, I think you'd like to know that I did meet my wife at church. <laughs> oh, and then he showed, showed me pictures of his two kids. And uh, so that, that really resonated for me and meant so much to me, uh, you know, to know that the three things that I used to tell about the every game, which I'm sure they got tired of, but, uh, you know, after after four years, but at the same time, it, it did uh, pay off and was paying dividends with uh, hopefully a lot of a lot of. Uh, former players. Yeah, I mean, is that as a coach who's now retired, looking back, I mean, you have plenty, you probably have a trophy case and lots of photographs, but when you hear from your former players, is that the most satisfying of all uh, it, memories? It really is, and you know, there's it's hardly a day, there's hardly a day that I don't uh, hear from a player and sometimes many players, you know, what you're doing, we're going to come through, want to see you, a lot of them uh, remember Ms. DeBerry's Hopping John. And uh, every time the kids would come over to eat, <laughs> she'd fix Hopping John. And uh, that's just a good old Southern meal, you know. And uh, But they associated that. And she, Coach, can I come by and get some Hopping John? And, uh, and we're always glad to see them. And, uh, but uh, certainly at Christmas time, we heard from so many of them. And, uh, and that's just uh, you know what it was all about. Oh, well, that's about, about them, not about me. That's so great. I mean, 20, I mean, the, the, given the number of years you coached, I think you were at Air Force for 27, right? And, and you've got 50 plus players on every team. I mean, you probably almost need a secretary to keep up with all of those uh, people. I mean, they have your cell phone. They probably have your email address. You're, you're a prolific letter writer and a texter, as I understand it, including uh, connecting with some of the parents because you recruited these kids and you felt... Uh, a connection to some of them, whether it was praying for their recovery from an illness or whatnot. How um, how did you get into that? Is that a discipline that you cultivated over the years, or is that just something that was instilled in you as a young man? Well, I think you know the encouragement that I received as a single parent kid, and uh, and the experiences I had through athletics, and and I probably went into coaching because of my high school coaches, and uh, I never forget when I was at Walford playing and getting ready to go back through a season there. Uh, the high school coaches let me uh, you know, hang around and, and c- help them coach. And uh, and <laughs> I'd get ready to go back to Walford. They'd slip me $50, <laughs> $75. I 
And that was like a lot of a lot of money, you know, at that time. Yeah. And I said, you know, this coach is not very bad. And so, and I'd come home, they show a real interest in in me, you know, and uh, and uh, so I think my my high school coaches had a great influence. We were blessed to be in a program that was very competitive, and uh, and we were able to uh, have some success. And uh, but I, you know, was uh, encouraged by my mother and my. my Grandmother, particularly that that um, you know, athletics are uh, important, and uh, we want you to have those opportunities. But at the same time, uh, you're not going to have those opportunities if you don't make good grades. You know, and so uh, I, I was motivated in that direction also, but motivated by my high school coaches, and then uh, to have had the opportunity to go back and coach with my college coach. Uh, you know, just uh, not <laughs> so flattered whenever he asked me to come back and coach, and you know, and I said, you know, wow, when they were a player, and and uh, but uh, he, he saw something that I I didn't know, and of course he meant a great deal to me, and and uh, we were very very blessed that we uh, played for the national championship when we were at Warford, and from there uh, he got the head coaching job at Appalachian State University, and asked me to go as his uh, first assistant, and. So he turned a lot of the program over to me, and we had nine wonderful years there. But uh, I just think, you know, the interest that had people uh, in positions where they could be of encouragement and assistance to you uh, reached out to me. It had an awful lot to do with me wanting to reach out. And, but I wanted the mothers to know who and their sons were coming to play play with, you know, and I tried to stay in touch with them anything as parents as I could. Of course, we had more than 50 on our team. <laughs> sometimes we, with our JV team mm. and then with our, our prep school team, we'd have sometimes 300 kids at the academy involved in football. I mean, co- recruiting for the Air Force Academy is distinctly different than recruiting for Notre Dame or Alabama. I mean, you're you're looking at a different mindset of a player, probably, and a different subset of players. Um, did that ever frustrate you as a coach? Uh, to not be able to recruit maybe the same type of player, or was that something you were actually quite at peace with? Well, challenge, you know. We knew we weren't going to get the blue, blue, blue chip, but uh, we did one time in Chad Hennings, and he, he wasn't designated a blue chipper out of high school, but he turned out to be a real blue chipper. And but we had a lot of Chad Hennings, uh, you know, type young people to come, but. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we, we tried to recruit the very, very best we could. It, but certainly uh, there were two things that they had to do. They had to be of great character uh, to satisfy us and, and, and what our coaches would be looking for. And then certainly they had to be outstanding students and, and all of that, you know, in most instances, assures that, uh, you know, that they, they've got a strong family background and a strong um uh, work ethic and uh, and would be a great uh, and make a great uh, potential uh, lieutenant or officer in the United States Air Force. Did you have fewer? I would imagine at the Air Force Academy as a coach, you have fewer discipline problems than you would at a di- other Division One school in the Big Ten or or Big whatever they call it now. But uh, did you ever swap stories with fellow coaches and realize, man, that my guys are. My guys are under control. Those guys uh, have other challenges. Well, you know, get the kids now. <laughs> Our guys in yeah. the academy, just because they were outstanding students and, uh, and and competitive players, that didn't mean that they didn't uh, 
you know, have some of the same challenges and uh, and influences that, uh, that the normal kid has going to college. But, uh, you know, it, 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 many times we had to step up and discipline our players. and uh, But that's part of learning, you know. And, uh, and part of knowing that, uh, and I always felt discipline was, uh, was uh, uh, you know, a, a, an indication of showing your player that you truly loved him, truly cared, uh, you know, about. I had a quarterback one time that didn't do what he was supposed to do. And so I had him to meet me every morning at, at uh, five o'clock in, uh, in the morning because I like to work out in the morning before everybody got to the office. And uh, one morning, <laughs> One morning it was, uh, you know how the wind gets in in Colorado and how cold it can get, mm. and uh, he couldn't get in the building, so he was laying out. <laughs> I thought he was dead, laying out uh, <laughs> at the door, waiting for me to come open the door so we could get in and we could get our work done and started in, in the morning. But uh, you know, uh, he was a great kid. He just made a made a dumb decision, and uh, and so we all you know go through that. Uh, whether we're coaches, uh, uh, parents, or whether we are, are adults, or whether we are athletes ourselves. Yeah. You know? Well, this is, I'm talking with Coach Fisher DeBerry, legendary Air Force coach. I'm Paul Batura. This is What a Life Lessons from Legends. When we come back, uh, I want to dig more into Coach's career, kind of reflections on the game, how it's evolved over time, and uh, players. And uh, But um, what a great um what a great visit we've had so far. So hold on, and right after the break, more from Coach Fisher DeBerry. Well, welcome back. I'm Paul Batura. This is What a Life Lessons from Legends. And this week, we're talking with legendary Hall of Fame football coach Fisher DeBerry, who is now retired, but really not. He's maybe retired from the game. Uh, on the sidelines, but he is still super active, whether it's at his church or running the Fisher DeBerry Foundation, which is a tremendous nonprofit organization that's committed to helping single moms and uh, children who don't have dads. Coach, uh, thanks for hanging on. And speaking of the foundation, um, I mean, this is so emblematic of you. Um, you've been doing this now for decades. Um, how did it all start? Well, I think, Paul, the thing that really motivated me as much as anything is in recruiting. Every year, it just seemed like I was visiting and seeing more and more and more single-parent kids and uh, and their families. And sometimes I'd have to go to a community, and mom would live on this side of town, dad would live on the other side of town. And whenever I could have been seeing two or three other kids, to go and visit one kid. But... uh, uh, I, I guess the thing that really motivated me was I was at home one night and this teen, this uh, young man I was recruiting and uh, his father and I was out on the balcony talking and their team had done high school team had done real well and uh, that year and uh, but he was trying to tell me that uh, how many kids that uh, that uh, you know that didn't have they had to buy a lot of their equipment and. Kids that didn't have the money to do that, and how they had to have a booster club to help, you know, do that and all. And it just started me thinking and then reflecting on my own life, you know. And if it had been for my grandma and granddad, I don't know if I would have had. My mother worked as hard as she could and helped as much as she could, but she was just a minimum waiter. And, and uh, but it, it, you know, they, 
But I, I just as uh, each year we, we, we traveled, uh, I was just seeing more and more and more kids that uh, were in single parent families, and, and uh, realized that uh, financing they were being denied some of the opportunities that uh, uh, were really important for them to have, not just through athletics, but uh, other ways also. So we started the Fisher DeBerry Foundation with a primary emphasis on. Uh, helping single-parent kids have opportunities that uh, they might not would otherwise, and hopefully that uh, these opportunities can build character and build faith in their lives. And uh, and so uh, we started uh, working. Uh, I was very much involved in FCA, and, and we and thought it would just, the more kids we could get to go to camp, the more lives that could be changed, because we'd seen that happen in so many instances. And so... Um, we made it a point to uh, get the word out and that uh, money would be available for kids in, in programs that uh, they couldn't afford to go to camp and they had, they had to be single parent kids. And uh, we just felt like if we could get the, them to camp, uh, certainly they could uh, improve their skills. They'd learn how to compete, uh, but they could also learn some life skills of leadership and commitment and, and uh feeling good about themselves, and, and then uh, most importantly, we felt like, and that's why we endorsed FCA so strong, that if, if uh, they could make a faith to commitment uh, while they were at camp, that they certainly change the heart and soul of uh, themselves, but also the schools in which they uh, represented, and uh, so we found that to be very, very true, and so we sort of directed most of our energies, but earlier it was just the willingness to help uh, in any particular need that a single parent kid or um, mother might have. And, and I mean, we were able to, you know, respond to the request from all over the country. Mm. But basically, uh, what we really have tried to focus on has been helping single parent kids go to summer uh, FCA football camps. And, uh, and I guess, you know, uh, over the uh, over the uh, the time that we've been in existence, I I know we 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 we've raised over uh, a million and a quarter, one point four million, and uh, wow. in twenty twenty one years, and we've probably sent over five thousand kids to camp. Most of these camps have been FCA camps, you know, and feel that this made it a difference somewhat in in their lives. But then we started a foundation where uh, the foundation, you know, was uh, started in around 2008. And uh, and over the course of time, we uh, uh, went to an idea of, of uh, having co- uh, Coaches Night for Charity, where we invite uh, the, uh, the um, uh, head coaches or the respective schools in the state to come and let us raise help raise money for their foundation. And uh, and uh, then also uh, use the, the proceeds from the, the donors that we would have to send uh, kids to FCA uh, camps uh, in the summer. And so probably over over a period of time since 2008, I, I guess we've uh, we've raised over three hundred fifty thousand dollars for uh, coaches charities, and uh, and we probably have uh, we probably have raised over. Um, Go two hundred thousand more mm. for FCA for kids to go to camp. Uh, wow! And uh, 
so we just have these what we call coaches night for charity and we come in and and uh and just take Troy for example um there in in, in Colorado Springs since Troy is coming uh, uh for uh the event um he chose uh home front cares and that is a ministry that uh, that the veterans started that uh that uh, helped raise funds for uh for deployed parents uh, that uh, in the military and of course Colorado Springs is such a strong military community and uh, it, you know it, it, one of the spouses is is deployed and car breaks down or the refrigerator goes bad or whatever or need some help financially and so how they are able to do that well Troy has endorsed uh, uh, the home front cares program since he's been the head coach, which now uh, is what sixteen years, I guess, and uh, he's probably raised. Uh, oh gosh, I, I, I bet uh, I bet Troy has raised over one hundred and twenty-five thousand hmm. dollars in support of that, and so we do do that in, uh, in in South Carolina, North Carolina, and and in uh, Colorado every year, and it has been greatly received and. Uh, People have a lot of fun. We have a great, uh, great turnout, and great meal, and uh, but it's primarily again uh, raising funds to support our foundation and and the coaches uh, foundations, and, and we encourage coaches to have some uh, support uh, the, the element that they they do in their community. Yeah. Most of them do, you know, have uh, something that they they uh, certainly support and, and more improved. The, their community that they're coaching in. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of dollars you mentioned there, and a lot of a lot of numbers of people that you've helped. And I always think about how there's a name behind every number, and those kids that you have made things possible that otherwise wouldn't. Uh, you mentioned FCA. We're big fans of the Fellowship for Christian Athletes. Um, a couple months ago, we had on our program Lou Holtz. Uh, you know, one of your rivals back in the day. And he's deeply, Great deeply involved. I'm curious. Yeah, tell us about that. You're a you know fellow competitor. That was kind of a legendary series, Air Force Notre Dame, but yet a good friend. So tell me, how did that friendship develop over time? Well, certainly, I admired Lou's uh, career, and then of course when he came to uh, to um, uh, Notre Dame, then we were playing each other every year, you know, and uh, so. I, I never forget one time he came out to the academy. And, you know, sometimes uh, we didn't run quite as fast as a lot of our opponents, so sometimes we might let the grass grow a little longer than <laughs> uh, than than it might would appear to be. And uh, <laughs> and, and, and he, he told me before the game, he said, "Fish," he said, "If I let the grass in my yard grow this long, so Beth would leave me in a minute." I said, "Lou, you don't understand. I mean, this is Colorado." And, if we don't have a heating system up under this this grass and, and cause it to grow, I said we would be playing in dirt, you know, by mid season end. He said, "Really?" <laughs> <laughs> he bought what I was telling him. Oh, that's so great. We went up there playing one time, and and we practiced on Friday afternoon. And just have a little light workout, you know, and get used to the stadium and all. Let the kids run around a little bit. And the field was just, you know, perfectly, just really in great shape. And, and uh, so we went on to the hotel at night and came back to the stadium the next day. And all over on our side, 
our whole sideline was nothing but a quagmire. It was just wet, just mud. <laughs> and what they what they done? They watered the field down. So I told Lou, I said, Lou, that's the biggest compliment that I have ever had given to our football team. <laughs> that you would think you had to water the field down to slow us down. <laughs> I know you mentioned one of the fastest players you ever competed against was probably Rocket Ishmael, who played for Lou during the heyday. Oh, boy. <laughs> he struck fear in my heart every time we lined, they lined up offensively. And uh, he really was a great player. And uh, he had I remember one really good return against us. But uh, we really, really zeroed in on him. And, of course, they had the national championship team there. But uh, with some of the people that he had, but uh, um, we enjoyed the competition, and we were fortunate a couple of times, you know, to to beat Notre Dame. And uh, and uh, but uh, Lewis uh, really had a tremendous love for uh, FCA and a tremendous love for young people, and and really wanting. And he's like me, when in coaching to give back and to. And to really be of help wherever yeah. he could in the total development of a, of a young person's life. So I, I have so much respect for Lou. I think Lou once said about Rocket Ishmael that he could turn the lights out and be in bed before it got dark or something like that. That's how. <laughs> <laughs> he was that fast. There wasn't any question yeah. about that. Tell- and of course, he had, he had a tight end that was a pretty good player, too, that played in the NFL for a number of years, Tim Brown. and uh, Sure. And, uh, but he had some great players, as you would expect. But we had some good players, too, and we certainly cherished the times that, that we that we played them. And that was, you know, every year, kept playing them long enough that we were able to beat them a few times. When you've coached uh, a team for as long as you did, and you've had so many memories— is there does a coach leave a program with one golden season that they think about a lot? I mean, you're not going to win the national championship at Air Force, but you're going to have big bowl. I mean, you were in the bowls for uh, you know a dozen years or something like that. So you had great seasons. Is there one that stands out among all the others? You mean one bowl? One well, maybe one season. One season that really kind of. Uh, you know that you think back on your career and you think everything came together this this uh, specific year. Well, you know we we had some real good teams there. So one year we were, uh, I think we ended up twelve uh, twelve and one, I believe. Um, y- you know they they all had their own. Special meaning and specialness uh, about them. Um, right now, I'm just trying to think of uh, one particular particular team. Uh, I never forget that Kenny Hatfield was the, the head coach uh, whenever we played uh, uh, BYU, and they had uh, uh, Jim. Uh, was his name quarterback? And, uh, really, was a great player. Played in the NFL at BYU and. And they pretty much dominated the game. We hung in with them, you know. But, but so uh, it was about a minute and a half to go in the game. And, and we were still in striking distance, but over at BYU. And Lavelle decided to punt the ball, and uh, and he, he kicked the ball, uh, punted the ball out on the two-yard line. Well, there was only about uh, 57 seconds left in the ball game. And we took that ball and went the length of the field and scored the last play of the game. 
went for two in overtime and won the game. Mm. And uh, and so that that you know it was a year after that that it was the year BYU and won the national championship. But anyway, uh, that was just a, a remarkable sure. uh, team. But uh, we we had uh, a lot of great uh, great wins and were very blessed and felt each one was special in its in its own way. Yeah. Uh, now you're you said. You're a positive person, Coach, so I don't expect you to talk about how everything was better in the old days than they are today, but how has the game changed, and are you pleased with some of the changes that you've seen um, over the years? I mean, even since you've coached, of, of course, with the playoff system and all of the controversy associated with that, and now pain players, and I mean, the game the game is still the game, but a lot of the the trappings of it have changed, good or bad. Well, I think certainly uh, for good, uh, as far as the quality of the game is concerned. Not that it wasn't a great game whenever we were coaching, but uh, certainly I think today there's such a emphasis on uh, developing kids uh, uh, down in elementary, down in uh, junior high and high school, and and having so many opportunities for high school kids to go in and improve their skills and develop their skills and so the game today is is really a, a, a you know is exciting uh, game and uh, a game that uh, probably speed wise is is faster than the game whenever we were uh, uh coaching but you know the, the same fundamentals are there you got to be able to block and tackle you know, it doesn't make any difference how fast you can run. Now, sometimes if you can outrun a guy that can tackle very well, then you're really ahead of the game. But at the same time, you, you got to do the fundamentals of the game. But, but uh, you know, there are a lot of things that are improved about the game. And then yet, we know today there are a lot of changes being made that aren't, I don't think, necessarily good for the game. And uh, and it's what really the game was, uh, you know, basically designed to to do. I certainly feel very strongly about uh, uh, the portal system. Uh, I feel very strongly about uh, NIL, and uh, you know, these were not the reasons that that I went in coaching, and I know many of my very close friends feel the same way. We just do, don't like some of the things that are happening. And money, you know, the Bible teaches us is the root of all evil. And mm. I think I think we're uh, placing so much emphasis on on uh, the revenue of the game. And certainly uh, it's a lot more revenue being generated now than it was whenever I was coaching. But at the same time, uh, the, the way it's being used is, is uh, not totally in support and an agreement of. Yeah. I'm talking with Coach Fisher DeBerry. I'm Paul Batura. This is What a Life Lessons from Legends. Coach, I know one I'm I'm all positive about Air Force football, but the one thing that's been frustrating is all the night games they're playing now. I don't like to freeze at a game. You know, it's cold sometimes when you're playing a Friday night game or a Saturday night game or a Thursday night game. So that's changed a lot. One thing that we're really concerned about certainly at Focus on the Family, where I'm uh, full-time, is the proliferation of sports gambling. And, um, you know, that was something, of course, that was forbidden um, for years and years. And now, um, is that something that concerns you when you see it advertised everywhere and endorsed by players? What do you make of all that? Well, it really does, but it's just our society today and 
And unfortunately, that's why we got to do a better job in churches, a better job in communities, a better job everywhere uh, educating. But uh, uh, gambling is, uh, is is an evil. Um, and, and they, uh, a lot of people would argue with me on, on that. But uh, I, I'll never forget one time, Paul, uh, we played San Diego State. And for some reason, and I can't tell you the reason why now because I don't remember, but, but we played on Sunday night. In San Diego, and uh, and uh, we get back home about three o'clock in the morning, and I had an unlisted. I mean, I didn't have an unlisted phone number. And about four o'clock that morning, I got a I got a call from some guy, and it sounded like he was intoxicated. You the sorriest person I ever known. You you caused me to. They lose mortgage on my home. Mm. Uh, that was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, he went through the whole gamut of putting me down, <laughs> profaning me, and causing me to say he lost his house and everything. Wow. And I said, well, what a sad commentary that is for what football, you know, <laughs> does to some people whenever it does the complete opposite in so many ways in character building and that type stuff for the participants. But uh, we've, we've allowed it to, you know, to say, well, you know, we've got to have a, a certain amount of money coming in. And the amount of money that they pay for bowl games now. And uh, and uh, I never really gave much thought to the amount of money you can make. I knew we could, you know, improve our budget a little bit, but it never crossed my mind about the amount of money we can make going to a bowl. It was just the prestige of saying we played in a bowl mm-hmm. and we could, you know, recruit with that. And, uh, but now, I mean, uh, it's, uh, you, well, the bowl payout, which one would we rather go to? <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Well, in our remaining time, I wanted to ask you that you had, used to have a sign in your office. Maybe you still have it in your home office. But the quote was, a coach's success is not measured by wins or losses, but by the men his players become. And that strikes me as something that you have, that's been a priority in your coaching life, hasn't it? Well, we we really, uh, you know, uh, the comments that I get from a lot of my former coaches, and I hear from uh, the former coaches as much as I do the players, but, uh, you know, I I just tried to impress upon our coaches that, you know, it's a great tribute and a great honor uh, to be a coach, but an unbelievable responsibility we have uh, to these guys. And and so I think the fact that having uh, been raised by my grandparents, but, you know, I, I did receive love and I did have a place to sit down and eat. And, and my mom worked a lot and, uh, and uh, I didn't have a lot of the frills in life, but I was very, very blessed. And, uh, but I did work, uh, you know, at a job and they supported me all through uh, working at a grocery store during high school. And, uh, but, uh, I, I think, you know, the whole thing is that in, in coaching, uh, we need to understand that some of the decisions, some of the directions that we carry in the program is, is what is that person is going to end up, uh, you know, relying on as far as his character, as far as his development, as far as his responsibility. And to me, coaching is just an awesome responsibility. And, uh, and it used to scare me if 
sometimes, uh, you know, I wasn't doing what I thought was the best best thing uh, in the way of trying to positively influence kids about something, you know. But um, uh, I just really feel that uh, coaching is is uh, the greatest uh, profession that there is, and there's so much responsibility that, that goes with, with coaching, and you're responsible not only uh, to recruit good players and teach them this game, but uh, you have even bigger responsibility to see what their uh, their uh, life will be after they graduate and what their uh, faith decisions will be in their lives, their families and all. And one of the greatest thrills I get today is uh, the Christmas cards, the letters, the calls and all. And, and the first thing they do is talk about their kids and their, uh, and their wife and, uh, and so I know uh, when they do that, that there is a strong family uh, emphasis there. And so that's what we uh, perceived our our whole uh, team, our whole program of being. We, we're a strong, strong family. We care about each other. We love each other. And the last thing I used to tell our players is we were leaving the, the dressing room to go on the field to play. Admit whatever you do. Uh, don't let your don't let your brother die. Hmm. In other words, uh, play the very 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 best uh, that you know how to play because you're playing for your brother, and that's how you build a family and how you build a team. I think. I was going to say that's not just advice for football, but that's advice for anyone who's listening to this program. Don't if you're a father, if you're a mother, if you're a son or your daughter, grandson, don't let your family down. Well, coach, thank you again. And we'll hope, hopefully talk to you again soon. Well, thank you, Paul. It's certainly great visiting uh, with you, and certainly appreciate again the, the the impact that Focus has there in in not just Colorado Springs, but it's meant so much to the development of that uh, community, but and certainly the entire nation. And uh, you've got to be extremely proud of that. Thanks for listening to What a Life with Paul Batura. Let him know what you're thinking. Follow Paul on Twitter at Paul Batura, or you can reach out to him on email at paul at paulbatura.com. Most importantly, live a life that emulates the admonition of the Apostle Paul, whose teachings are the inspiration for this show. Writing to believers at Philippi, Paul urged them, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We'll see you next time on What a Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.